You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. This episode is about a topic that on the surface might seem trivial, but once we dig in there's actually a lot to discuss here. Luckily, we have Ben Sims back on the show, whom you might remember from the Native Landscaping and Garden Maintenance episodes. Welcome back, mate. Hey Dan, how are you? Yeah, not too shabby, thank you. So Ben, can we start this episode by getting you to tell us a little bit about your experience with weeds? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've had a vast experience with weeds from gardening when I was a kid through to doing casual jobs throughout school, doing weeding and stuff like that. Then through different jobs that I've had, and now I still deal with weeds in my business. Also, I've studied a lot about weeds in detail through agricultural science and also conservation land management. So yeah, I've had a long and vast experience with weeds. So what is a weed? A weed is a plant that's growing out of its natural range and generally growing out of control. It's Or it can just be a plant growing where you don't want it to. So it's a man-made definition. Right. So it's not an inherent judgment on that particular plant species. It's just we don't want it there as a human being. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's us casting judgment over the plant and us not wanting it to be growing where it is growing or growing as much as it's growing. And it may or may not have negative ecological impacts associated with it. Yeah, quite often it does, but yeah, not always. So where do weeds come from, like originally? Uh, quite often weeds come from countries with similar, similar climates to ours, like in Perth, for example. A lot of our weeds come from South Africa because the climate's very similar over there or Mediterranean places, but they can come from tropical climates. It really, they, they can come from just about anywhere. Hmm. It's just something about that plant gives it the upper hand in a new environment. Yeah, it's just able to thrive and, and reproduce outside of a garden or where it was originally intended to be used when it was first used here. Hmm. And they may have impacts on other plants because maybe they're competing for the same sorts of nutrients in the same area. So weeds may just actually outcompete the natives. Yeah, quite often they do. And that's where they become a problem. So why were they brought here originally or how were they brought here if they were brought here against our will? Uh, yeah, different reasons such as they might have been used in agriculture. Weeds like perennial veldt grass might have been used as a pasture grass because it's so easy to grow and can grow with very little in poor soils and very with very little like added fertilizer and water and stuff like that. They could have been brought here as pretty garden plants and then they escape the garden. They can also be brought here to be used to to solve or try and help solve environmental issues like dune stabilization and or to stabilize a bank or something like that and then they just escape the area they were originally intended to be used. In Queensland there's a serious problem with lantana weeds and being a Queenslander having moved down to Melbourne 
I was quite almost horrified to see all of the lantana that we go down here. Like, it just doesn't seem to escape down here. It seems to be fine down here, but something about that plant, when it's up north in the tropics, it just goes wild and it takes over huge areas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think some some variety or flowering color of lantana is more weedy than others and that, but definitely mm. it's to do with being in a different climate. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't become a weed in, in another climate like Queensland, it goes berserk. So we spoke about invasive weeds outcompeting other plants, but what are some of the other negative impacts of weeds? They can invade natural areas like bushland and outcompete the native plants. For example, like bulb weeds, like freesias or lacanalia and weeds like that can outcompete orchids because they like to grow in the shady areas under trees where orchids like to grow. Grass weeds can uh, invade natural bushland like veldt grass and annual winter grasses and stuff like that. And then some of those grass weeds in summer when they dry, they become a fire risk because there's more fuel load and they burn really easy. Some weeds can house like pests and stuff like thrips or other pests that could jump onto your the plants that you want in your garden and they can hmm. cause issues that way as like a host. They can, yeah, so they can outcompete the desirable plants or the plants growing in the bush or plants growing in your garden. Yeah, they can end up, you can end up having unwanted trees in your yard or in an area where you don't want them from seedlings like plants like Brazilian pepper over here or crepe myrtle or silky oak. I know over in Victoria that's a desirable plant, but over here, Grevillea robusta can grows very quick into a big tree. And it, it, really? It can, yeah, yeah. It's, it can be a really bad weed over here. Well, And that's a big tree too. Not so much I've seen it as a weed in bushland as such, but I have seen it cropping up in gardens. Yeah. But I think most of the time it gets pulled out before it gets to a certain size, but the yeah. seedlings just grow everywhere and anywhere, even between paving. I do want to speak more about the difference between woody weeds and herbaceous weeds because there is a big difference there in terms of the damage that woody weeds can actually do. Yeah, yeah, and it's very expensive and difficult to eradicate. You've got to go into bushland with chemicals, nasty chemicals and diesel to help it penetrate through the bark and and kill the tree. It can be done, but it's very expensive and labour-intensive to do that. And also destructive to habitat as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's other issues that weeds can cause. They can affect waterways and wet areas like pampas grass can can create. I've literally seen a forest of it in a wetland. It was quite impressive to see, but destructive to the environment, just the scale that this was growing at and, and the height. Some of the plants are at least, I reckon, five metres high. Wow. Brazilian pepper, that can cause create its own little forest, even in, in, in a neglected backyard, but in a wetland as well or a bushland. Those the little red berries, the birds eat them and, and spread them and they just come up and they grow very, very quickly. And weeping willows, I know in um, Tasmania, they can be an extremely bad weed, so bad that their roots are very, very fast growing and invasive and they clog up creeks and rivers and waterways and they can do so so much that they divert the water course and the water can start eroding the the banks of the river and cause flood issues as well because Mm. you can have cubic meter upon meter of these roots 
and the water, the, yeah, the, it just re-diverts the water. So that's a serious, serious weed. And then you've got some really bad weeds, uh, some of the pond plants that people have in their ponds and stuff, like water hyacinths. I can't, can't say that probably. Water hyacinths. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm trying to say. And hydrocotyl and Hyacinth. weeds. Thank you. <laughs> and and weeds like <laughs> weeds like that can just take over waterways and outcompete the native weeds on and yeah, so they're a native plant, sorry, and yeah, so they cause real issues and yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of negatives around weeds and them dominating areas where we don't want them. Yeah. Can be a serious issue. Yeah, really bad. How can we prevent introducing more weeds? Uh, understanding which plants have got the potential to go weedy. So if we do a lot more research about the plants that we want to use, there's a lot of websites that list plants that are already weedy and so we shouldn't be using anything, those plants or anything too similar to them. Choosing mm. native plants that are endemic to the area if possible or exotics that don't have the potential to go weedy. Yeah, so we don't need more South African plants in Western Australia, for example, when we've got 13,000 native plants that grow in the bush and, you know, thousands and thousands of those that we could buy from a nursery. We really don't need the South African plants because a lot of those have got the potential to go weedy. Not all, but a lot. So when you say South African plants, what are you talking about there specifically? Yeah, a lot of the like South African daisies like gazania and stuff like that, they throw so much seed and, and they've become a really bad coastal weed. That's one. Even the South African iris, the dietes, I haven't seen it go weedy in bushland too much, but yeah, it definitely goes weedy in a garden and it wouldn't take much for it to escape, I wouldn't have thought. Mm. And I think the Velt Daisy South African as well, and I have seen that go weedy into bushland. So a lot of those plants that um, produce a lot of seed, not so much like the Proteas or the uh, Leucodendrons or any of those, they seem all right. But, yeah, it's the daisies that can mm. be really bad. I believe that there are some acacias that can go a bit wild. I think that there was one that they brought in for grazing because the cattle loved it, but then it just sort of went a bit wild and you know, those woody weeds are no good sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, I mean, we've sent acacias over there that have gone extremely weedy. I think they call one of our acacias, I'm not sure which one, green cancer over there. So, right. yeah. It goes both ways with the weeds. (laughs) They're cursing us just as much as we're cursing them. So what plants could be weeds in the future that aren't weeds right now, do you think? Uh, Definitely succulents, as a lot of those plants can survive and thrive off reticulation. Uh, They only need, some of them only need, or most of them only need contact with soil, moist soil to form new roots and it doesn't take long. And then other plants that throw out a lot of seed from the daisy family, uh, they can, as I mentioned before, they can and are already really bad weeds over here, especially if they're from a similar climate. And then obviously there's a lot of grass weeds over here, like kikuyu grass and cooch grass are the two worst. They're really bad. But there are alternatives like Santa Ana, which apparently doesn't, have because it's a hybrid variety according to tony who was on the podcast before and nick Mm. that that doesn't form fertile seeds so 
that's not as bad. Only the runners can go uh, weedy, not not the seed as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely there's some bad grass weeds. So yeah. So a lot of the time we're talking about things that are really easily spread. So a lot of seeds, maybe you know things in the daisy aster family. They can be wind spread, so that can get away. Or maybe it's things with berries that animals and birds are going to eat and then go and poo somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Or anything that can get in a waterway and, and spread, you know, in the water courses and stuff like that. That can be really bad too. They can spread really fast. Can some native Australian plants become weedy within Australia? Oh, yeah. Even um, Western Australian plants, the Geraldton wax from 400 k's north of Perth, is naturalised around Perth and, and become a weed, so definitely. And even plants from a closer than that could become weeds. So, yeah, it's any any plant can potentially become a weed in the right conditions. Yeah. I mean, it's a big country, and just saying native plants sort of is quite a low-resolution term in Australia, I think. Maybe within yeah. the UK they can say native plants. probably means a bit more. I mean, yeah. within England anyway. Uh, but, yeah, in Australia, native plant doesn't mean a whole lot in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's a big, big continent with many plants. And, yeah, it's a quite a, a broad term. So, Ben, let's play devil's advocate here. What are some of the positive impacts that weeds can have? I mentioned before that weeds can house things like thrips, which can spread viruses and things like that through your plants or just attack your plants. But um, having weeds in your garden can also act as like a super, uh, sorry, a sacrificial plant. So the caterpillars or whatever might go for the weed instead of your actual plant because it's got a choice, not just, it's not just a monoculture. Good things about weeds are their primary colonizers. So if there's nothing they're like a bare patch of sand. You can they they will start the they they will grow when nothing else will grow. Shrubs and trees and stuff like that. Even when they're exposed, and they can stabilize banks and prevent erosion. Uh, many weeds are edible. They can actually be food for native birds and insects at a time when there's not that much native food around, like native flowers and seeds and stuff like that. So yeah, they can provide a source of food then. And you can actually turn like weedy cooch and kike into a into a lawn if you reticulate it cult and cultivate it. So yeah, it'll spread pretty quick, and you can actually have a very cheap lawn. So that goes back to what you said there. You kind of touched on it briefly, but you really didn't spend a whole lot of time on the fact that they're primary colonizers. And I just want to take it back to that because, as you're saying, like that cooch is going to take over where those weeds are. Is because those weeds are actually a lot of the time designed by nature to colonize bare patches of lawn or like kind of not great conditions. And then what they do is they improve those conditions. For example, dandelions have a taproot and they'll take nutrients from deep down in the soil, store it in their body, then they'll break down and die or they'll allow their roots to die that aren't performing and as they grow new roots. And uh, yeah, that that biological process really is constantly improving as long as there are plants in there. Yeah, that yeah, you just reminded me. Um, yeah, so one thing that weeds can do really effectively is bring up minerals and nutrients from further down and bring them up around the root zone of other plants. And then as they die, they release them. 
they can also support soil life and create a good soil ecology, which is far better than a baked hot, you know, sterile mm. sand. So, yeah. yeah, there are some positives there for sure. Like ve- having a vegetated surface is better than having a sandy, wind-eroded surface for sure. So what about edible weeds? Yeah, there's quite a few weeds that are edible. Plants that can go weedier olives, and they're obviously edible for mm. figs. I didn't mention, but figs can go weedy, especially in wet wet areas, and they're edible too. Uh, a lot of the time when figs come up, wild it's hit and miss whether they'll taste any good sometimes you'll strike it lucky and it'll be really tasty other times it'll be quite ordinary fennel is actually a really nice tasting weed you can bake it and Hmm. it's quite nice parsley lettuce they can go weedy and they taste quite nice especially over here in winter tomatoes can go weedy they can come up in bush bushland and then yeah, other things like blackberries, especially around rivers, it's not good, but as long as they're not sprayed, you can actually eat those blackberries. Stinging nettle, apparently you can make a tea out of that. <laughs> and <laughs> some people like that, it's meant to be quite nutritious and it lets you know that the soil's quite fertile and nutritious where it grows apparently. And other plants like purslane uh, or portaluca, I think it is, that's an edible weed and, um, yeah, but you don't want to eat too much of some of those weeds because things like purslane can cause gout. It's quite rich. So some of these yeah. weeds are more like you just forage them a little bit. You don't eat large amounts of them. They're quite nutrient dense. And then some of them have got things in them like oxalic acid, which if you have too much of that, it can cause gout. We've got to do an edible weed episode. Yeah. For sure. Because there's so many you can talk about. I love dandelions. Even the false dandelions, cat ear, you can eat them. But they're not as tasty as dandelion in my opinion. And then you've got, I don't know if you have it over there. I'm guessing you probably don't in your sandy soils. But we have one over here called chickweed and it is delicious. It's probably my favorite weed of all time. It's just so (laughs) crispy and refreshing. It's like um, just like eating watercress. Okay. Yeah, nice. So what about poisonous weeds? Can we go out and eat any weed we want or are there going to be some dangerous ones out there as well? Oh, there's some very, very dangerous weeds that can be actually deadly. So with anything that's that um, you eat, you only want to try it a tiny bit and you only want to try it if you've had expert advice that it is okay to eat it and you want to also think that, you know, you could be allergic to it because you've never tried it before. But, yeah, plants like castor oil, uh, that plant has an extremely poisonous, I think it's the seeds are quite poisonous. It has ricin in it, which is a really, really, really poison, poisonous chemical to humans. And oleander, that we have them over here and they can go weedy too. And, yeah, you, if you ate that or had a tea of that, that is deadly. That is a really poisonous plant. So, yeah, there's some really bad weeds as far as, Yeah, poison goes, but I mean, a lot of exotic plants would be poisonous too. We just don't try and eat them. Yeah. There are a lot of edible plants, but there's also a lot of poisonous ones too. So you've got to be mindful of that. Yeah. 
when we had Thomas J. L. Pell on for our identifying plant families with flowers episode, he was making the point that a lot of the time we can tell if a plant is likely to be poisonous or edible by checking the family. But at the end of the day, like you need to probably know each individual plant species yeah, on an individual basis before you're going to be going out there and eating any plant out there, even if you've identified it down to the plant family level, because there are exceptions to those rules from time to time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That gives you a good general idea, and Thomas is an absolute expert in that field with yeah. decades of experience. So he, he more knows exactly what he can't eat, and then he can work back and work out what he can eat. If he was lost in another country elsewhere and it came down to it, he would know which plant families are likely to be able to be edible, even though he didn't recognize the family. But no one's going to go out there and try and eat plants that they don't know on an individual basis, I would surely hope. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a, he's an expert, so he's the sort of guy you want to consult whether you can or can't mm. eat something. For sure. So how do we reduce weeds in our garden now that they're here? Yeah, so a good way to reduce weeds is to give them competition and create thick and healthy gardens with lots of vegetation, which can help shade them out or physically outcompete the weed. We can pull them out. Uh, you can use steam. That's quite effective in paved areas. We can use herbicides, but generally it's best to use them as a last resort. They are good when used the right way because if you do use them the right way and then follow up with the right plantings you won't have a weed problem long term so yeah yeah so chemicals as i mentioned you can paint trees with certain chemicals and you can get like grass selective herbicides which will only kill the grasses in your garden beds mm. and it won't harm the other plants so have you ever seen the price of those well, I won't mention the brand, but they're not cheap. No, yeah, there's one in particular that is quite expensive, but yeah, very, very effective. But very effective, like took it can be cheaper than paying a person in a professional setting to pull out cooch or kite. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you'll, you'll never get the, as good a result trying to hand pull out grasses that have got rhizomes because you miss one little bit. Yeah. And then in six to 12 months, you could have, another, you could have a garden bed full of it again. Absolutely. Did you mention mulch? Mulch as well, of course. So, yeah, having a mulch, that's a more of a temporary fix because weeds will grow in and around just about anything. You know, they can grow in gutters. They can grow in gaps between mm. concrete. So mulch, it's not – yeah, I prefer to have like thick, healthy plant growth. That's far more effective than mulch because weeds mm. will – mulch breaks down. Weed, or Mulch gets soil on it or between it and weeds can grow in that. So mulch does reduce weeds, but long-term, it's not a solution. It can still get covered in weeds. Totally. And if it's shallow enough, it doesn't matter that there's any mulch on there because if you've just got like a couple of mil of mulch, well, the weeds can just go straight through it anyway. So you actually need a decent covering of mulch before it's going to have any effect whatsoever. And then, like you said, soil gets in there too, game over. Yeah, and sometimes like a lot of the commercial guys recommend Mulch suppliers recommend applying at least 75 mil to mulch, which for me is too thick because I want to allow, especially yeah. with planting natives, I, I want to allow the winter rains to get to, you know, 
deep down into the soil, so I don't like more than, say, a couple of inches of mulch max. So when it's only a couple of inches, it's not that effective as a weed barrier, but if it's like 75 to 100 mil thick, then it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. You have to have 100 mil, 75 mil to even have an effect. Yeah, but then it starts to affect what you can grow and how you can grow it. Yeah. You know, things like everlastings, you don't, you can't throw them on the top of mulch. Well, you can, but it's they, they really want to be thrown onto soil so they can germinate each year on the soil or on a very thin layer of mulch. But they would then outcompete weeds, wouldn't they, if it's in a good spot? Oh, no, not the – not unless they're really thick, but, yeah, you probably want to still hand weed the weeds around the – Hand weed it. Depends yeah. how thick they're coming up, but, yeah. So we can obviously go into the bad sides of spraying herbicides. Glyphosate, I think, is probably one of the better ones because I think it's probably been shown to have the least effects. A lot of people are going to say, oh, but the pollinators. But when you actually read the literature on the subject, it seems like the pollinators are only losing habitat. They're not actually killed by the glyphosate. At least that's my understanding. And when you hand pull out weeds, you're actually pulling out carbon from the soil and you're actually disrupting mycelial connections and all the rest. Whereas when you have glyphosate kill a plant, those roots are going to rot down and actually feed the soil biology. So sometimes I think I'm going to put my hand out there. I'm going to say like, look, I can be wrong, but it seems to me like glyphosate is a pretty good option for as far as chemicals are. What do you think about that? I think on a large scale, you can't hand weed. It's too vast and too expensive. So that's where you need chemicals, you know, and this is coming from like environmental groups that I've spoken to through the Wildflower Society, you know, they, they, they'll admit at scale you need chemicals. You can't, you just can't get on top of all the weeds at scale. So they definitely have their place. We need, we need them, but only use them the right way at the right time. Yeah. What are the bad things about hand weeding, do you think? Because everything has an effect. What, what's the effect of hand weeding? Hand weeding, yeah, you might disturb the soil a bit more i don't sort of think long term it's that negative it's it's just more takes a lot more effort and a lot more time and and if you're paying people to do it it's it's a lot more costly you don't get through near as big an area and if you're trying to hand weed things with underground roots like rhizomes you won't get them all whereas the chemicals are systemic and they'll go through when they make contact with the leaf they'll travel all the way through to the deepest roots and, and kill the kill the grass from root tip to leaf tip sort of thing because it'll take it through the whole plant. So that's where, yeah, hand weeding can't do everything that chemical control can. Obviously, always read the label before you use any chemical and uh, mix it up appropriately. Don't go it alone. (laughs) That just goes without saying, I would hope. Yeah, we're not here to... Tell anyone how to do it. You've got to have a license if you're doing it commercially and you've always and experience and you've always got to read the labels and follow the the instructions and the regulations for applying whatever chemical it is in your area. But yeah. I don't have a license so I don't apply herbicides. I pay contractors to do it who are licensed and experienced. So now that we have weeds, they're here, we have to deal with them. Like, how do we do this going forward? How do we live with weeds going forward, Ben? We don't really have a choice. They're not going to go anywhere. We have to 
utilize their benefits or attributes. So yeah, they can they can stabilize a bank or prevent erosion until we come in and remove them or replace them with native plants. They can be a source of food under the but yeah, you've got to know what you're eating and have the right advice and know what you're allergic to. You can use them to help, you know, establish a new planting area or whatever it be because they can provide shade or help shelter from winds until the larger native plants can do that job on their own. But a lot of native plants are colonisers too, so you don't really need the weeds for that. So, yeah, there's not so many useful things. I think we've just got to learn to work with them and know how to control them and, yeah. Manage our expectations. Yeah, they're always going to be there. Unfortunately, I can't see how we're ever going to eliminate them. As they say, one year's seed is seven years weed. So, um, yeah, mm. it's they can hang around a long time if they've just shed the seed once. Or And I'd like to give a special shout-out to that one special client that once complained the day after that I sprayed glyphosate that the weeds were still alive. <laughs> Cheers for that one. <laughs> it takes a good couple of weeks, depending on the time of year, for for it to really uh, knock the weed down. And the weather too. I believe that when it's humid and sunny, the plant systems are more open and they're sort of transpiring, transpiring more, and systems are flowing more. And I believe that that you'll get a quicker effect during that sort of weather. Yeah, during the growing season, it's always going to kill it faster. Yeah, I also wanted to mention. When you're killing woody weeds, sometimes you can drill into the roots and just pour straight glypho down there, and that will actually get a better result than trying to continuously spray the leaves. Yeah, with certain woody weeds, though, you don't even want to do that because it. I think like Brazilian pepper, it can actually cause it to sucker more off the root system. In that case, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. In that case, they just they just apply um, diesel, and I won't say the other chemical just around the bark called basil barking and yeah that will that's more effective than actually trying to drill into the tree i believe i mean i'm not sure if that's still currently the way they do it but yeah Uh, sometimes you don't want to actually physically drill into the tree the chemicals will do it on its own that's if it's a suckering plant especially i imagine that rye is are going to be the similar sort of a thing oh yeah yeah they're a shocker too. We didn't mention those. <laughs> I don't think you can still. Yeah. Surely nurseries don't allow you to buy them anymore. I haven't seen them around. Oh, we, yeah, we got them here in Melbourne. They, they're still allowed to sell them? Yeah, I think so. You're kidding me. Ivy's the same. You're not supposed to be allowed to sell it and you see people selling ivy. Okay. Yeah, right. But it's often for indoors. Okay. So I don't know if that's how they get around it. Maybe they just say it's an indoor plant. Yeah, yeah. Those Rubinia mop tops, my goodness, they can come up. A few a few houses away nearly. They are Yeah, they do, shocking. don't they? Yeah. You just see it coming up through the concrete or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they should not be allowed to sell them. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about this actually. We didn't quite touch on this as much as I wanted to, that, yeah, woody weeds can be a real problem to foundations of buildings and fences and stuff like that, whether that's from a sucker that's come up from a root trying to grow a whole new plant or whether it's by a seed that a bird's pooped on your fence. Um, yeah, they can be a real problem. Yeah, they can. Is there anything else that you want the listeners to know about? Yeah, just before you 
introduce a, a new plant to your garden, just research it and see if it's weedy or anything in its family is weedy and try and find an alternative plant that, that's not, that won't go weedy. But it's best to ask an experienced nursery person or horticulturalist for advice or find a reliable website. But yeah, definitely become educated in what, what plants you put in your garden because it does make a big difference. There's plants on the nursery list that, that can still cause issues as weeds, but they just haven't been banned yet. Well, cheers, mate. Thanks for coming back on. No worries. Thanks a lot, Dan. We'll definitely do a lot more content on weeds. This episode was just an introduction to the topic. Listen to Ben's other episodes in our back catalogue, or listen to Maintaining a Pruners with Falco and Blaise Vino, or Plant Biology Basics with the President of the Global Plant Council, Professor Ros Gledo.